Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. No one who is learning to play a musical instrument, no one who wants to learn the piano would ever take a class where they would lecture you for a year on theory before putting it into practice. And in fact, if you did want to learn piano theory or music theory, you would still learn to play first. And so there's lots of fields like that. And so acting for me, if you, you know, if you'd asked for not a mentor, but someone who was like a, a role model from a historical role model, there's a guy, Stanislavski, who in uh, Konstantin Stanislavski, who transformed, who revolutionized how acting is taught. And I learned about him because I was watching just for fun. I would watch inside the actor studio, totally unrelated to my practice, except that I noticed that all of these actors on stage were tremendous at a lot of the skills that leaders value, especially the skills of, of reading others' emotions, expressing your own emotions, being emotionally aware. And here I'd come from, you know, like a top five business school, having taken a whole bunch of classes in leadership. And these people often many of these actors had dropped out of school or gotten kicked out of school, and yet they excelled in something that my environment didn't even cover. I mean, just covered intellectually, but didn't give the skills. And I thought, what's going on here? Why, why are these people who are not even in the system or who the system kicked out surpassing people who, the, who are at the pinnacle of the system? I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Josh, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, you know, I came across you uh, by way of our mutual friend who also was a former guest here, uh, Michael Roderick, who was known really as a super connector. And uh, when he told me what you're up to, I was immediately intrigued because it, it seemed like you've done just so much in your life and, and you know, this really sort of diverse background. Uh, so I want to start with something a little different than I normally do. Um, and I want to ask you what your very first job was and what you learned from that and how those lessons have impacted everything that you've ended up doing uh, in your life. So very first job, you mean like working for someone else, getting a paycheck? Yeah, or do you mean, exactly. I mean, one year. Exactly. Okay. Like uh, as far back I as I guess that would be, yeah, that would be my high school job that it was a guy who, you know, Princeton Review? Mm-hmm. Princeton Review was co-founded by these two guys. And they split and one of them got the name and the other one got the business. And I was, I worked for the guy who did the other company and he called it pretest review. And they, so it was, it was an SAT prep company and that ran out of the guy's home. And so I worked there a couple days a week after high school. What, uh, what lessons did you take away from that, that, uh, informed and, and, you know, shaped kind of everything else that you've ended up doing? Hmm. That's a good question. It's a long time ago. Yeah. High school, a long time ago. 
I mean, you know, I really, there was, there was, okay, I'm not going to lie. Some of work is boring, <laughs> but I like the idea of having someplace to go and something to do and being able to make your own money yeah. and um, a sense of independence that it gave. But independence was very important to me when I was younger. That's still important to me now, but mainly because I, I've, I think I've achieved it. Sure. And it gave me that, you know, it was after school, I had to take a bus to a bus to a trolley and, you know, I had to arrange all of how to get there, but it's rewarding. And then I got a couple of friends of mine jobs there and then it became a kind of friendly thing. Uh, looking back now, it's like as if I somehow knew to mold a workplace into something that worked for me. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I, I, I doubt I had that kind of foresight. I mean, independence seems like something that uh, everybody craves these days. I mean, it's almost like a buzzword at this point. And I mean, based on on having created it for yourself, uh, having done everything that you have, which we'll we'll actually spend some time talking about, what misperceptions do you think that we have about what it takes to create independence in our lives? And how do we change that? Well, you know, the culmination of my wanting independence was that I took a year off from college after my junior, after my sophomore year, I'd moved in for my junior year. And then when I'd been there on campus over the summer and when my friends came back, something didn't feel quite right. And I decided to, before registering for classes, I decided to take a year off and I moved to, I lived in Paris for a year that year. So not connected with school at all. Uh, and actually I found some classes there to take in, in French and my teachers were the same teachers at some local school that, that taught at, some friends of mine were actually taking the exact same classes with the exact same teachers, but they were paying tens of thousands of dollars and I was paying hundreds of dollars. So I got a little bit of independence there, but, uh, you know, I went there to learn strike out on my own. And if I could go back and do it again, I would have been more interested in, you know, instead of trying to be independent from my family, trying to work with them in some way, I, I think I had a lot less fun and got less out of life than I could have because I was trying so hard. Mm-hmm. And now I put such a high value on relationships and social interactions and emotions that at the time I was just trying to be much more, what's the word, I mean, independent and also like logical and less, I don't know, the things that I consider most important about life, I was pushing away from myself at the time. Mm-hmm. How do you find a balance between uh, logic and sort of that, that intuition-based approach to things? Um, I mean, because clearly, if you've built businesses that have been successful, you probably have to have a combination of both, right? Yeah, I mean, the quick answer is experience. I yeah. mean, I think that at, at, when you're young, it's just almost impossible. I mean, I, I, of course, there are young people who have probably more balance than I do between these things. Uh, I think, you know, I started off, looking at life like emotions, what are they? I don't really get them. You can't really quantify them. They're just kind of this weird thing that confuses everything. And so that, that would, I would say that was not a, an effective balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, emotions are a lot of how they tell you a lot of information about the world and about your relationships with people and things like that. Um, you know, the best answer I can give is a technique that I learned from a, a professor of mine in business school in a leadership professor he had this technique called self-differentiated leadership, which is that when you're leading people, people can tell if you're really angry or if you're bubbling over with rage or something like that, or if you're like overly happy, they can tell when your emotions are, you're getting carried away with them. If you 
a lot of people think I'm in business. I should ignore my emotions. I should push them away. I should be cold and rational. But people can tell when you when you have emotions, and if you don't act on them, they know. If you're not acting on it now, you're going to blow up at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're seething with rage and they're freaked out, they're scared. You don't like to be around with someone who might lose it. Otherwise, likewise, there are some people who go with their emotions and they feel like that's the best way to go, and then they lose their their control or they they don't really know what's going on. And that's not so effective either. And people don't like to follow people who are, who are flighty like that. Mm-hmm. So what do you do if you're really angry? What do you do if you're really freaked out about this project isn't going to get done? Or what do you do if you're, likewise, it could be, what if you're very happy and so overjoyed and so enthusiastic that you get carried away making plans that you can't live up to? Most people don't balance it very well. And his technique was extremely effective. It's like what you do is you acknowledge the emotion, you acknowledge the reason, you you, you act on both. The way that I think of it is like, say you're really angry at someone. You're, you you got a project, it's due in two hours, and someone just messed things up. You might not be able to get it done in time. I don't get mad at the... I, I, I not, I, what I do is I say something like this. I'm not an actor, so I can't really... I don't know if I can do this perfectly, but I'd say something like, I don't know if you realize what you said would... It was so angering, but we'll get to that later. We have to get this project done on time. We'll revisit it, but let's get this thing done. So it's acknowledging it, even expressing it, but not letting yourself get away with it, get, not letting yourself, not letting it run away from you. And I find that extremely effective. I, we learned it in the context of leading people through crises, but it turns out it's very effective all over the place. It's like acknowledge that it's there, express it, don't try to hide it, but that doesn't mean get, letting it run away from you either. And it's the same thing. It doesn't have to be like an, an emotion that a lot of people like to, like anger, they generally describe as, as negative. But it could be something that you're really very happy about. It could be, you know, like, yeah, I totally want to elope with you. That, I think that would be amazing. But we do have to consider the rest of our lives. What more should we think about when we do this? Mm-hmm. And so that technique is something that I found very effective at helping me balance things. Mm. Uh, that was a long answer to your question. No, no, that's fine. That was perfect. Uh, when you look back at your life, uh, are there people, uh, mentors, coaches, parents, uh, that shaped and influenced what you ended up doing and what were the most important things that you learned from them that have played a, a role in your life today? Or any, yeah, one I mean, there's a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, even one of them in particular would be interesting. Well, sure. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is one I'm, I'm working on my book right now and Marshall Goldsmith has been one of my mentors for the past over a decade. Mm-hmm. And his techniques have been very formative for me and we interact a lot. So he's the first example and he's, I think he's a great example. I've learned tons from him and I keep learning from him. And the first thing that comes to mind of what I've learned from him is that he has, you know, I, I took, I went to business school. I graduated, I got an MBA. I started, I'd studied a lot of leadership there. And when I graduated, I realized that I'd learned a lot about leadership, but not necessarily a lot of how to lead because there's a lot of case studies, but that's about other people. And there's a lot of lectures and reading, but that's still about other people. And anyone who's gone into like a high stakes negotiation or a situation where you're trying to sell shares in your company, you know, getting investment, you walk into a situation and you feel, if you know a lot of theory, that doesn't stop you from freaking out and getting your tongue tied and not knowing what to say or do when you actually walk into the situation. 
So I'm not saying theory has no place or that classroom learning has no place. It does. But Marshall teaches in a different way. He gave you, or he gave me, I mean, if you go through his stuff, he's got a couple techniques where you practice exercises that are the skills that you need, but you do them on a small scale where the stakes are low. So that when you go to the situations where the stakes are high, you're not falling back on theory and words that you read. You're falling back on practice, on experience that you actually did. So like one of them, feed forward, is like how to get advice from people, how to create communications that are not judgmental, that are helpful and mutually informative. And a lot of my practice, I didn't realize this at the time, but for years when I was coaching people, I was using his technique of, like someone would say, I got a problem with my, with my CEO, I can't get along with the person. And I would, instead of thinking of like analyzing, I would think like Marshall and I would say, well, what kind of practice would this person need in order to be able to have the conversations with the CEO that, they, that would make this productive? And so I'd come up with an exercise or draw on one that I knew from another source, give them that exercise and say, practice this 10 times over the course of the next week with people who are colleagues or family or friends. Then after you've gotten it down, then go to the CEO and they would come back and they'd say, wow, I never realized that I could do this or I could do that or I could learn like that. And it's a sort of, it's, you know, I felt gratified because it was just the way that I would respond to Marshall. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't realize I could learn so much just by doing something so simple. Can you give uh, a specific example of what one of those things might be that somebody could use to create a sort of low stakes situation in their life in which they could apply it? Yeah, I mean, the, the big example I think of first is that when I, shortly after business school, I wanted to meet this author. He was, uh, there's a panel discussion near me, and I saw that he was on it. And I went there and I thought, okay, I learned in, in school, network, network a lot, meet people. So when the, panel ended you know there's a a period where the people on the panel come downstairs off the stage and they talk to people and i went up to the guy and i worked up the nerve to approach him and i said hey you know i read your book i I really liked it and i wanted to tell you how much it meant to me and i wanted to thank you for writing it something like that Mm -hmm. and he looks at me and he says well thank you that means a lot to me and i say well see i'd worked up the nerve to go up to say that much and at that point i i hadn't thought of what actually to say to the guy I just kind of hoped it would work out. I put all my effort into just making the approach. So I just looked at him. I just stood there and was like, I didn't know what to say. In my head, I'm thinking, say something, say something. (laughs) You're going to look like an idiot, like say something. And then I'm like thinking, too long has passed. Now he thinks I'm weird. Now now i got to address that I'm I'm acting weird. What, What do I do next? And he's just staring at me. And then after a little bit, I just go like, well, uh, great meeting you. And I walked away and my friend was with me and she just started laughing and she was like, what, what? she, I was like, why are you laughing? You know, I'm really embarrassed. And she said, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was just two geeks just staring at each other, not knowing what to say or do. And then, you know, a couple months ago, I was meeting with uh, Francis Hesselbein, who is Marshall Goldsmith's mentor. So my mentor's mentor. And uh, this woman has been, she's won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and many people have described her as the best leader in America, including Marshall, including Peter Drucker. So she's like really big. And I met her through Marshall, in fact, at a, at a book release of his. And 
on the way there, I was thinking to myself, what do I talk to her about? Because I can't, like, I don't just want to ask her for tips and tricks and stuff that I can get from reading her books. I want to make some sort of meaningful connection with her. And I have this exercise called meaningful connection, which is how to make a meaningful connection, which is took me a long time of distilling what worked in relationships and, and merging it with other exercises that I learned from other places. And so I get into her office, her assistant brings me in and her assistant sits me down on this couch. And when you walk in her office, there's like, if you look up every around the top of the walls are books of hers translated to a dozen or so languages. There's pictures of her with every president. There's swords that are given to her by foreign dignitaries. And there's like so many pictures of her with like all these five star generals. Cause she does a lot of work with the, with West point. And what you, like that's a crazy situation. I mean, she's way out of my league in terms of professional, like all this stuff. So her assistant sits me down on the couch and then pulls up the chair and she sits down. And so her face is like a foot away from mine. And so she turns and looks at me and she says, so what would you like to talk about? And it's like, it's very easy to, to be like, well, what's a tip or a trick? Or like, what would you say to a young person starting out? Something like that. But that's not very personal. It's not very meaningful. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she was like saying, you take the lead. It's like a command performance. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, I could fall back on my technique, which was to use meaningful connection. So I asked her what her passion was. Or I, I mean, I, I, I did it a little on the fly, a little differently than the exact technique that I teach. But I... Talk, started talking about what her passions were and why she had the passions that she did, and she started sharing them with me. And what originally began as a half-hour coffee ended up being a three-hour meeting with lunch. And she, at the end, said this was one of the most delightful. I think she said it was like the most delightful meeting she she could remember, or something like that. Something that made me feel really good. And I was really using my technique. It's like when you are freaked out and you're nervous. That's when and and you're you tongue-tied. That's when you fall back on technique. You fall back on something that you know works. Hmm. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears and walk me through the journey from college to all the things that you've ended up doing with your life and today. I mean, because you clearly packed, you know, from what I've read in your bio, more into uh, the last, you know, probably 15, 20 years than the average person does into a lifetime. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's, a, I mean, it, I've had a good time. I can tell you, I haven't, out, that job I had in high school is like one of my most long jobs. So I haven't, like, I haven't worked up my way up the corporate ladder. Sure. So I haven't done that. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so back to, back to college. I mean, I started off college and I was always good at academics and I was pretty good at math and science. And so, uh, but I was also made fun of a lot in high school. I was a pretty geeky kid. Not you know, the most geekiest in the world, but still pretty geeky. And I didn't, I couldn't really defend myself. I didn't really know how to. I wasn't very socially adept. So I tried to steer away from math and science. And then in my junior year, after that year away, I decided, you know, I I do like this stuff. And I decided I liked physics and I decided to major in it, and which would be a big challenge because most people who major in physics, they start off right away. So there was second semester, junior year, having three semesters to pack it all in. But that challenge was really exciting to me. And I really loved physics. I still love physics. Uh, and when I graduated college, that was my passion. I mean, that and playing ultimate frisbee, and, which I did a lot. And uh, start off graduate school, 
it was a big challenge. It was grueling. I mean, I I was able to finish the major, but you know, coming from an, Amer- an American school that was a liberal arts college, suddenly your classmates with all these students from other countries where they don't have liberal arts, they only study that field. And so I was, it was like the first time I was really struggling in school. I caught back up and then, but then when I started doing research with, with an advisor, it was, it wasn't what I expected. You know, it was, I went in thinking, I, I learned about physics being a practice where you find particles all over the place because a couple decades before me, that was the case, but now it's just these giant experiments. And you just feel like a little pawn in this giant, yeah, and it wasn't quite right for me. On the flip side, I didn't know what other alternatives I had. I felt like I could either stay in school and become a professor, but I didn't really want to do that anymore. I could go into industry and probably work for a professor, or do something military industrial, but that was definitely not interesting to me. I could go to Wall Street and make a lot of money, but that wasn't interesting. I didn't like the culture. And so I felt like really trapped, like I had three options and none of them I liked. And then one of the great lucky breaks for me was that a couple of friends of mine from college, they wanted to start a company and they came to me and said, let's get together and let's figure out how to, let's figure out if we can start something together. And if we can, we will. If we can't, then, you know, we'll just have some beers and have a good time. So that led to me. I came up with the idea that we went with. I mean, one of the guys went off to Boston to get married, uh, but the other one and I co-founded our, my first company together, and that was a big change. I really love entrepreneurship. Starting my first company was an amazing experience. I had no idea how, how hard it would be, uh, and you know, everyone who knows entrepreneurship knows the highs are much higher and the lows are much lower, so it was really, uh, it was great in the late 90s and very early 2000s when we were getting started. But once the recession hit and the bubble burst and, you know, we were, I still have these invitations to our, uh, the, the opening event when we were going live for the first time and it was, a, it was an in-person event. So we sent invitations to our investors and everyone, we, you know, friends and family and stuff. And it still, it says, please come to the, the, the uh, grand opening or what would you say? The, the global premiere of this new medium. And we expect it to be a big event, a big press event. So please come September 11th, 2001. And it was, you know, on the scale of the things happening that day, one person's business is not the biggest thing, but it was like a really difficult situation. So it wasn't too much long after that, that the, our access to the revenues dried up, our access to put in new displays was, was very, very difficult. Uh, we couldn't get much more investment. And so the investors squeezed me out and they're, I was not in my in the company that I founded, so it was a really difficult period. I mean, yeah, it's like people talk a lot about failure and how valuable it is, mm-hmm. and I've never heard people talk about how painful it is and how frustrating and difficult it is. Uh, but that's how things were at that time. But I did realize that I did want to keep starting companies, and that led me to learn a lot more about business because I didn't know anything about business. I went, to, uh, I went to business school to get an MBA. And my main goal there was to learn the hard skills. And what I ended up, I did learn that, but I also learned the soft skills. And that's where I started awakening to things like emotional skills, self-awareness, 
and things like that, which came from the classes in leadership and entrepreneurship and negotiation and things like that. The past 10 years have been, while I've been doing a bunch of entrepreneurial things, there's been a big increase of what's going on. What, why was this part of life that I had no idea what it was, that I actively pushed away, now realizing that emotions and relationships are, these are much more important to me now than they ever were. And in comparison to like logic and, um, and rules, this stuff is much more interesting, much more, I mean, that's what's really um, my passion now. And in the past few years, the past two or three years, the big passion has been not just learning it and sharing it, information I learned about it, but I've gotten really, I've learned a lot about how to teach these things and different techniques versus, you know, I learned through, through, a lot of lecture and case study and that's how you learn about something but that's not how you learn to do something and so what I've learned a lot in the past couple of years is how do we teach fields that are active and social and experiential and emotional and performance based and it turns out that we're very good at teaching stuff like that outside of leadership outside of business outside of life areas in things like teaching someone how to act or how to sing or how to dance or how to do sports but those techniques, as effective as they are in other areas, no one's applied them into these areas. And so that's been my passion of the past couple of years is how do we take the techniques that work elsewhere and apply them in, in this new area? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You mentioned that failing uh, is something we talk about all the benefits of and all the things that we learn from it, but we don't talk about how painful it is. And I, one, I appreciate that you were willing to mention that. Uh, but it, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that you said you still wanted knew that you still wanted to start, you know, start companies after experiencing something as painful as a failure. So I'm curious uh, how, after going through something that painful, you sort of rebuild your confidence and rebuild your morale to be able to go out and, you know, attempt to start companies again, do and do entrepreneurial things again. Uh, Because, yeah, I mean, there's no question in my mind that there's not one person who I have talked to who has not had some epic failure as part of their past. Yeah, so... There's a lot of there's a lot you said that I could talk about. I mean, if I go back, there were there were some really difficult things. I mean, one of the things was that everyone had different interests that I didn't realize when things were going well. I thought we're all in this together, and then when things were falling apart, some you know different people wanted to get their piece of equity or their piece of debt or their piece of whatever, and suddenly people who I thought were on the same side were not. And it really undermined my 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 faith in in people's relationships. And although it, one of the big things was it really helped my relationship with my mom because suddenly here was one person that I knew was not going to go sideways on me, and everyone else I didn't know. There was one other professor who was on our board that also was very helpful for me there. And actually, you know, that relationship with that professor is maybe the best answer because he, this was before business school, but after, uh, when I knew that I was going to leave physics, I, I would sneak over into the business school and take a few classes there without officially registering for them. So I'd audit them. And I got a good relationship with this one professor. And he had a perspective on business that was very uh, reasonable and, and like, he was such a voice of reason and such a voice of understanding. And, you know, he'd, he'd retired. He was teaching after having retired from being a partner at a major uh, consulting firm. And, you know, he was really, that relationship was maybe one of the key things that I realized he always stressed the importance of relationships and the importance of, of, you know, don't just talk to people when you need something from them and things like that. You know, and you know, get, reading the book "Getting to Yes" was another big piece of it. I don't know if you've read it, but it's this, it's like the book on negotiation. 
And it changed a lot of my views from business being about making money to business being about forming relationships and, and forming teams and working together. And that side of business was really close to me before. Starting my first company, writing patents, writing business plans, realizing that if you want to get someone to pay you for something, you got to make their life better than the loss of money that they're giving to you. That's improving their lives. And so I realized that there was a lot to business that I discounted and missed. And I really liked it. And I knew that there was a lot more for me in it. And so I guess that was it. There was something that I was finding that I enjoyed. And, you know, some setback wasn't going to stop that I knew that there was some way that I could, if I succeeded as much as I had the first time with more experience, I would probably succeed more the next time. I, you know, to make ends meet, I had to work at a friend's company and working at that company, I realized that the sense of ownership of creating something myself was very important to me. So I can make, you know, I can make a living working for other people, but it wasn't, it didn't, there was something missing that I, as far as I could tell, only could come from creating something yourself. I don't know if that answered the, the question. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely did. I think, uh, you know, for me, it just reemphasizes a point that I feel a lot of people have talked about uh, that I've interviewed, and, and this is this idea of support systems and the role that they play in our lives, especially when we're trying to do really big things. Yeah, you know, support is one of the big, in my courses on leadership, support is, is as a leader, that's one of the most valuable things you can provide for people. And I know you're talking about it being on the receiving end of support, but for me, what I can do for myself and my students and my clients is to be able to give them the ability to support people more effectively. And when you support someone, the loyalty that you get, the appreciation that you get, the dedication that you get is so great. And so many people think of leadership as like, you know, you telling people what to do and they don't realize how much work support takes but also, it's not just work, meaning like you're burning calories or uh, burning the midnight oil. But I mean, like, you have to put the other person's interest before your own. You have to figure out what is hard for them, what's easy for them. You have to empathize with them. You have to, you have, to have compassion. And if you do that effectively, then, you know, you never, you, you never have to worry about micromanaging because it doesn't happen if you, you know, if you do it effectively. And... A lot of leadership, a lot of like the important stuff is like figuring out how to support them, what to do and, and how to create the team and so forth. That's a lot of stuff at the beginning is is like the more fun stuff to learn. The support stage is what lasts the longest. Usually you can get a project, you can get people inspired, you can get them working, you can get the resources ready. And then now it's time for the team to deliver. And that might take years and you have to provide support the entire time. And I, I find that that's, that stage is where I don't know, it's, it's like it all comes together and it's hard, but that's where you can get the most out of people and where you spend most of your time. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, your thoughts on teaching because you said something earlier about how uh, you know we've taken this idea of experiential learning into things like acting, things like music, music, but we haven't really applied it to our sort of traditional forms of education. And you being you know a professor uh, in you know teaching, I one I'd love to hear your thoughts on education and its current form, and then talk about 
you know, how you're uh, incorporating this experiential idea into your teaching. And, and uh, you know, we have a lot of parents who homeschool their kids uh, using content from our show. So I'd be curious what advice you might give them as well. Well, I don't want to talk about all of education. I can talk about education in leadership and entrepreneurship sure. and, the, and, and hustling, which is, where I, which is where I focus. And a lot of it, years ago, I don't think they taught this stuff at all. So to teach it at all, I think, is very important and, and valuable. And uh, I got a lot out of it that I didn't think I could. Uh, but I think that it came from an academic perspective that people were in – I mean, there's business schools. I mean, they teach in lots of places, but my experience is in business schools, so, so I'll talk about it there. So there's a lot of leaders in business, and, and so business school has to teach you business, so they, they got to teach you leadership. And so they got a lot of people doing research in the area, and they're researching what works and what doesn't work and things like that. And so they say, okay, well, we know what works and what doesn't work, so let's teach that, and we're going to do that. And we'll teach that like we teach economics. And... I mean, they don't say we're going to teach exactly like we teach economics, but we're going to teach it roughly like we teach things in school. And it makes a lot of sense. And why not? And so, and I agree that it made a, a big difference over not teaching those subjects at all. The thing is that the, I mean, lots of other areas may have been taught that way one way, but no one who is learning to play a musical instrument, no one who wants to learn the piano would ever take a class where they would lecture you for a year on theory before putting it into practice. And in fact, if you did want to learn piano theory or music theory, you would still learn to play first. And so there's lots of fields like that. And so acting for me, if you, you know, if you'd asked for not a mentor, but someone who was like a, a role model from a historical role model, there's a guy Stanislavski who in, uh, Konstantin Stanislavski, who transformed, who revolutionized how acting is taught. And I learned about him because I was watching, just for fun, I would watch Inside the Actor's Studio, totally unrelated to my practice, except that I noticed that all of these actors on stage were tremendous at a lot of the skills that leaders value, especially the skills of, of reading others' emotions, expressing your own emotions, being emotionally aware. And here I'd come from, you know, like a top five business school, having taken a whole bunch of classes in leadership. And these people often, many of these actors had dropped out of school or gotten kicked out of school. And yet they excelled in something that my environment didn't even cover. I mean, just covered intellectually, but didn't give the skills. And I thought, what's going on here? Why, why are these people who are not even in the system or who the system kicked out? surpassing people who, the, who are at the pinnacle of the system. Something's wrong here. Something's missing. And so the more that I watched the show, the more I started realizing that they weren't, uh, they weren't born with it. They also studied. They also practiced. And they also took classes. But they were just in very different areas. And that's when I learned about Stanislavski. And then in the U.S., I don't know if you know who he is, but he was this Russian uh, guy in theater, and he started the Moscow Art Theater. And he developed a system of teaching through exercises that now we call method acting in, in the U.S. And so he came to the U.S. with, his, with the Moscow Theater, and that led to uh, these people, Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler and Harold Klerman and a bunch of people in the United States, to in, in New York City in particular, to 
start developing those techniques here. And the more that I learned about the rigor and the discipline and the dedication that went into that training, the more I realized that there's really something there that we had totally missed. So I ended up taking uh, a summer course in acting just to mainly to learn the technique. And I was very surprised, happily surprised to learn how quickly you could learn and to act. So I was like in, in a month, I went from never having done any acting whatsoever. I mean, the class play in business school and then before that third grade. And I was able to use the technique to cry on stage. And I'm not a particularly emotionally expressive person. That's not something I ever expected. expected. And, that was, and yet it was very quick and very natural and, and easy. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny experience to feel yourself crying on stage. And I thought, all right, I, I, I want to learn this technique. So I combined what I learned from this acting world of these exercises and combining that with the stuff I learned from Marshall, that Marshall is actually, I felt like, oh, these techniques that he has are kind of like the acting exercises, except instead of drawing from acting, he's drawing from leadership. And leadership is a more than uh, rich and complex field enough to, to get things to learn from. So for a while I thought, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to revolutionize everything that no one's ever done something like this. And then I realized acting is you teach that way, exercise-based. Learning to play a musical instrument is exercise-based. You, you learn that way. Sports, same thing. You don't teach the theory of basketball to people. You teach them how to hold a basketball and how to dribble it and how to you know, lift weights and how to do layups and things like that. And so I realized leadership is just... I think it's a younger field that's less mature in terms of uh, leadership has been around forever. The teaching of leadership, though, I think is a younger, a much younger field than the teaching of how to play piano or how to act. I think those go, go back centuries or millennia, maybe even. And so it's just a younger field. And we haven't yet figured out what are the equivalent in leadership of scales in, in piano or chords in guitar or the repetition exercise in, in acting. So I think, I'm, I think my role is to, is to bring into the field of teaching leadership, and actually not just teaching leadership, but a lot of the soft skills in business about relationship things. And, uh, and since it's a lot about self-awareness, things like that too. I mean, I tend to focus on the business side, but my clients and students all immediately start applying this to lots of other areas, lots of other parts of their social life and families and things like that. And so it ends up being something that is very personal development sounding, but I really come at it from a professional development perspective. And personally, I think that leadership is due to go through the same transformation that acting went through, which is that nobody, no one teaches like they did before Stanislavski anymore. Everyone teaches post Stanislavski. It's simply not done anymore, as far as I know. I mean, I'm not in the field, but I don't think people teach this perfection that they used to try to get of, like, as, as James Lipton, the host of Inside the Actors Studio, says, the, the piercing vowels, the, the, no, the, I forget. Like, you'd stand up on stage, you'd be like, to be or not to be, something like that. Well, no one, considering suicide like Hamlet was, would talk like, 
shall I commit suicide or shall I not? It's, it's, I mean, I'm not doing it right, but you know, we go for a, a reality and authenticity now, a genuineness that you may sacrifice on the perfection, but you gain on empathy, engagement, and compassion and, and connection with the audience. And that's what I think is extremely valuable for a leader. What um, unexpected outcomes uh, and reactions have you seen uh, to this from your students as well as from the educational community that you're a part of, from your peers? So, you know, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that in that way because, you know, it's very different. The students really love it. I guess the most – some of it is, is like I'm surprised at how big the, the, the effect is with a lot of students. I have this one – uh, student and she's she's 66 years old and she has sold a business or two and she's so she's you know she knows what she's doing and she's she's taking my online leadership course and she's not even finished it she's only doing she, so far she's only gotten through the the first unit the first quarter of the class is on understanding yourself so it's a lot of self-awareness things and the reason she's only gotten through some of it because you can self-pace is that she she's immediately found a way to apply it, and she's been spending a lot of time applying just the early lessons. And in particular, it's her. Well, here I'll tell you how how this came up is that uh, I had a videographer recording some students' testimonials, and she was one of them. And she's sitting there being recorded, and she t- she asks for like for the videographer to pause for a minute, and she pauses and she's like recollecting and then she speaks and she speaks with more emotion than she had before. And so after she, after this take, I said to her, did you pause because you're putting yourself back in the mindset of whatever you were talking about? She goes, yeah. And then she stops. And like, I don't know how to describe one. Like her face was like clearly in the moment of what she was thinking about. And she looks at me and she's got all these lights on her and I'm on the other side of the light. So she can probably barely see me. And she just starts saying, I can't tell you, I don't have the words to describe what these exercises are doing for me. I, I wish I could because I want you to know how much this has meant to me. And she tells me about how her, grand, uh, not her, grandmother, her mother is 93 and has to be put into care. And how her brother and sister aren't getting it. They're not facing the reality of the situation. And how before this, she handled things through crisis she would wait until something got into a crisis and then she could seize the moment and tell people what to do and so for most of her professional life that's what she did and now for the first time ever she was listening to people and understanding what was going on and spending time planning and being more calm and the effect it was having on on everyone in her life was was huge that her husband was like this is you've never been like this before something's changed uh her brother who's older than her was about i think 70 was like saying i've never seen a side of you before her mother was handling things better, and she herself was just enjoying the process more. I mean, it was a very difficult situation, but compared to what she, what everything inside her told her to do from experience, it was a vastly better experience. And, I mean, tears are coming down her face, and, and I, I was caught off guard. I did not expect this kind, of, this kind of magnitude, especially for someone who's got a generation, she's a generation above me. Or for that matter... You know, talking to Francis Hesselbein about this stuff, about what I'm doing, 
that she really engages and we had such delightful conversations and how much I'm, I mean, I'm learning tons from her. Now, I, I won't lie that there are some students, especially in college, when I teach the undergrads, that as best I can tell, and it's tough because I can't talk to all of them so personally, but I think a lot of them come in and they want to take a class where a teacher tells them the answers and that they can then write a paper giving the answers back that the teacher gave them. And some students like that, they get to my exercises and the exercises, if you really just, if you want to get them done fast, you can do some of them in like five minutes. That, that this, this, the woman I just spoke about, the 66 year old woman, she, she might take a month on one exercise. Someone else could do it in five minutes and feel like there was, there was no value in it. And so sometimes they just don't, uh, I, you know, I have to learn better of how to get to students who just want answers and don't want to do the exercises or don't feel value in it. But then some of them, you know, there's a student who came to me and she said, Josh, I, I get your course. I like it. She was taking an entrepreneurship class. And she said, I like your course. I get it. I like how we're learning experientially. But here's the thing is that I, I want to go into this path in life and I need to go to law school to do that. And so I need a high GPA. So, you know, I'd like the, all these, all the stuff that you're doing that's different, but can you just tell me how to get an A? And we spoke for a bit and I said, you know, the project that you picked for the class, I can tell that it doesn't resonate with you. Like the reason you want to go to law school, she wanted to go to law school because she wanted to go, become a social worker. And I know that social work is probably not going to pay off law school as quick as getting some corporate thing. So I said, you, you seem to care about this other stuff much more, the social work. If you changed your project to something that you really cared about, that's the goal here. You know, you can pick a project in anything you want, but what you pick, you don't care about. If you pick to something you care about, you're going to work harder. You're going to like what you do. And most importantly, you're going to be able to take what we're doing in this class and apply it to your life. You can do stuff, the reasons you want, the things you want to do when you go out in the world, you can start doing them now and you can use this class as a way of doing that, which was a concept she had never come across before. That, Like, instead of preparing for, instead of school preparing you for life that began after commencement, to have it now. So she, sw- she ended up, she took a week to think about it and then she eventually switched projects and Within by that second week, she'd completely caught back up because if you want to switch, you have to start from the beginning of the project in my class. She completely caught back up, and she was now like way ahead of uh, not way ahead. She was um, she was loving what she was doing so much that I wasn't sure if she'd like picked up on what I wanted to see and was like faking it. So I had to ask her, did I did I handle this the right way? It was this: if someone in the future came to me with the same question as you, should I? advise them the same way or differently or what? She was, yes. She said, by all means, have the students realize that it makes a big difference when you do something that matters to you as opposed to some academic abstract project. So the students, you know, some of them do make that trend. I think most of them make that transition from learning a bunch of facts to learning about yourself and growing and learning and developing skills you never had before. Then on the faculty side, it's funny because the, the professors who have started teaching this way, we love talking to each other and you know, figuring out what works and so forth. 
when I work with administrators, it's sometimes a challenge. I mean, I have this assistant dean that I report to, and she keeps asking me, like, where's, why is there not more theory? You got to put more theory in your, in your syllabus. I'm like, it's there. It's in the exercises. I will put any of my students against anyone who learns just theory, and I think my students will know more, but I think they'll also know how to practice it. And so it's a little challenge. I'm not in an environment like where, where active experiential learning is very well known. People kind of get it, but it's still transitioning. So the entrepreneur in me looks at that and thinks it's a great opportunity because I think this, it's going to be a big growth area. And the professor in me loves teaching this way. So I, I like teaching this way. Very cool. Um, so I have a few last questions for you. Uh, one is something that I haven't asked a lot of people, but I, I want to start because I feel like I would learn a lot from this question. What is one uh, book, piece of art, movie, film, music, whatever it might be, uh, that has significantly impacted your life? Hmm. I mean, a lot came in. Uh, let's see. You know, one book that has been a really big book for me has been the Tao Te Ching, mm-hmm. the, uh, <laughs> Funny the book that Taoism came from. It's sitting on my desk as we speak. Ah, I, yeah, I really like it. And then I'll, I'm going to recommend, if you haven't seen it, the Ron Hogan translation. It's not even translation. It's like because uh, he doesn't speak Chinese, but it's I, I love it. If you if you just look up Ron Hogan Tao Te Ching, you'll find it, and it's a free download, and he he had an experience like mine, which is that he read it in college. And this is from the preface. So you'll get to read this more. If I get some things wrong, it's just because my memory's not so great. But he, he read it in college and kind of was like, oh, interesting book, but didn't think much of it. And then somehow came across it later. And he was like, you know, something looks really good here, but it's a little too much of this like fortune cookie sound to it. And at the time he was studying film, I think, and he really liked David Mamet and uh, Quentin Tarantino, and they're very raw, guttural language. And he decided, I think, I think what he did, he got like 25 copies of it, translations, and just read all of them. He'd go to one section, he'd read 25 different versions of it, try to figure out what the meaning was, and then put it in the languages he liked. And so how accurate it is to the original, I don't know, but it's much more accessible, more fun, and whether... I don't know. To me, it's not important whether it's accurate or what matters to me is how much it improves my life. That's I, and it really did make things accessible in a way that it never had before. And it's this book that I, it, I, I've tried to describe it to people. And I feel like I don't really know what it's about. All I know is that when I read it, I think and act differently and in ways that I really like. And the only other place where I get that kind of effect is from when I read Richard Feynman, who's the great Nobel Prize winning physicist, and his views on nature somehow seem similar to the Tao Te Ching. And so it's, it's given me an appreciation for, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, I just like reading. You can read the whole thing in an hour and you can spend a year on one section. Hmm. Well, so that one. I have one last question for you, um, which is how we finish all our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What is it that, I'm sorry, could you say it again? Yeah, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Unmistakable, that's a, it's an interesting word and it's tough to figure out 
what is makes something unmistakable? I mean, everyone makes mistakes. You know, I'd like to reduce things away from definitions into what actually happens. And if I do something and someone calls it a mistake, that's a label, it's in a judgment of an evaluation that gets put onto something that there's no abstract thing like a mistake in the sense of like, I know what a tree is, I know what a dog is, I know what a cloud is, even though they have fuzzy edges and I don't, I don't know what the distinction is between a, 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 a low-lying cloud and a fog, but I still pretty much know. Mistake is something that someone made up that term and, and applies it to something to describe something not working out so well. To make something unmistakable, I would say to look at it without some preconceived notion or some set of values by which to judge it, but just to look at the thing. So if a child is learning to walk and they hit their toe against something that makes them fall, is that a mistake? Or is it just a child walking along and they hit their toe against something and they fall? You don't have to call it a mistake. And if you just look at what's happening, what the interactions between people or matter, you want to get really basic, then there are no mistakes. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with the listeners. This has been really profound. Um, well, you've give, given us a lot to think about, which I always appreciate. Well, thank you. I hope, you know, in a conversation, I would say, I hope I wasn't talking too much. I think for an interview, uh, your questions really got me thinking and really got me talking. So I, I, I thank you for getting me to talk so much. I hope it was uh, valuable to people and Absolutely. they enjoyed it and get something out of it. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. Money is powerful. Like, it can make amazing things happen. Money, in my mind, is the great facilitator. So let's say you're Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. Um, What can't you do? The answer is virtually nothing, right? (laughs) So Elon Musk is going to Mars, right? Like, you want to talk about really pushing the boundaries. He's going to go to Mars, and he's going to do it because he has access to the resources. And if the company had folded and wasn't generating revenue, he would not be able to pull that off. Bill Gates is going to end malaria, and he's going to do it because he has access to the resources. He can afford, literally afford, to be wrong a lot. And he can just keep learning and learning and learning and learning and learning until finally, ah, You know, we got it and now we know what to do. But he's got the resources to pull that off. Now, what people are responding negatively, and this is where I found myself, when the money isn't meant to facilitate anything, there isn't some greater dream, some greater purpose, some sense of like, I want to contribute to human society. When there's none of that and it's literally commas in your bank account, you just don't have the energy. You don't have the enthusiasm, the passion to keep fighting. I just, I don't know anybody. And I'm going to say even Warren Buffett right? Even Warren Buffett, and he uses money as far as I can tell as like a scorecard. But even for him, it's not about that. It's about like how efficient can I become in building these companies and making these bets and understanding, you know, how the business works. At the end of the day, the money's just a test of a skill set that he finds fascinating that he has a lot of passion for and quite frankly wants to build value for shareholders. So he's thinking about all of that and the money is just an echo Quest Nutrition founder Tom Bilio joins us to talk about transformation of human behavior through nutrition. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, 
there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that, and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. 
head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.